Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome, everyone. You're going to want to listen to this over and over and over again because this is one of the most intense, awakening, like kick in the butt trainings I've ever done of any guest I've ever brought onto this show. David Goggins is an exceptional human being. He's one of the only people in the U.S. military to complete SEAL training, Ranger training, tactical air control training. He's an ultra marathon runner. His book is called Can't Hurt Me. And he is a guy who got to this level. He's one of the most inspirational people on the internet right now. You've probably seen him on podcasts or on shows like Impact Theory. But the craziest thing about David is how he got to this level. A couple of years ago, he was simply a guy killing cockroaches for a living. And then he made a decision in life to do something different, to peek and look at the man he could be. And then to go through as much suffering and pain as he could relentlessly to become that man. And his message is going to wake you up. Now, we are recording this in New York, so you're going to hear the sounds of New York around us. New York is not an easy place to record in. And I also want you to know that David is one of the most real, authentic, and true-to-himself human beings I've ever encountered. So he's going to speak the way he speaks unapologetically. So know that there's going to be a ton of expletives in here and just get used to it. Now, let's bring on the set, David Goggins. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you, David. Now, you took suffering. Mm-hmm. And you made that a superpower. Yes. And one of the things that make you David Goggins, right, is your belief in suffering in order to grow. Tell us about that. Well, I realized that God wasn't going to give me a get-out-of-jail-free card. And from the time I was born until the time I was 19 years old, my life had these hurdles. I constantly hit obstacles, obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And... I had to figure out how to manage suffering, how to deal with it, because it would be part of my life forever. At least that's what I thought. So in order to deal with it, I had to be able to conquer it and overcome it and deal with it and know that in this suffering, there has to be some kind of growth. With every obstacle, I look at it as friction now. Without friction, there is no growth. You have to have friction in your life to grow. So I started looking at all these different things versus the what was me mentality, like, oh my God, look at my life. My life's so fucked up. I come from this fucked up family. I'm being beaten. I'm being abused mentally, physically. I started looking at it as the perfect trial ground. So I had to flip it upside down. I said, okay, I'm suffering tremendously, mentally. Use this to your advantage versus your disadvantage. So that's what I did. Versus looking at it as like, oh my God, what was me? I'm never going to get out of here. I looked at it as, okay, hang on a second. If I can overcome this, if I can find some power in this, some way to get through this, that right there will be the fuel for the rest of my life. And so I found great strength in suffering, great strength in it, because why? Through all of that, it started to callous my mind over the victim's mentality. You know, and there's interesting data on that, which is why I find what you're saying so interesting. 
So in Salim Ismail's book, Exponential Organizations, there's this quote that blew me away. So he was studying all of these companies and he shares the study of Google and Google wanted to figure out what makes their best people, mm -hmm. right? And at first they thought it was STEM education, science, technology, engineering, math. Right. But then what they found it was their best people were people who had gone through suffering. Yes. Suffering made people more humble. It made people more kind. It made people more sensitive to others, yes. more empathetic. So the best people at Google were young people who had gone through some suffering yeah. at some point, and they emerged out of that. Right. It allows me to do this interview with you. I mean, I used to stutter so badly, I couldn't do anything. I had no self-esteem at all through suffering, but recognizing. You have to recognize what you've gone through. And that right there gave me pride. I realized that very few people could turn upside down what I did. I was able to turn upside down every negative thing in my life, everything, and use it for power. You said suffering is a true test of life. To me, it's one of the biggest tests of life. Now, you also said motivation is crap. It's about drive. I was a scared kid, and I found drive and passion. Yes. The reason why I say motivation is crap, because a lot of people will listen to this, and they'll be motivated. They'll be fired up. They'll be so fired up, it's not even funny. But what I realized in life is to have that motivation... Motivation is just kindling. It starts to fire. But that kindling, once one raindrop hits that little kindling, it's burnt out. So motivation is like this. If you're married and your wife is okay and your bills are paid and the kids are good and the dog's good, if everything is good, you can find some motivation. Because while your life is happy, it's that motherfucker that wakes up in the sewer every fucking day, has nothing to fucking go home to, has nothing. Bills aren't paid, doesn't know when the fucking next meal's coming, doesn't know shit, and still says, fuck it. I am going to do what I have to do to get to where the fuck I have to go. That's the difference between motivation and drive and then soon obsession. Like, so when you're around somebody that's obsessed, most people don't have any fucking idea what to call you. So they call you crazy. They call you crazy because they don't understand where you're trying to go, what the fuck you're trying to do, what you're trying to be. So to the normal person, which we're all normal, we're all very normal, what makes people different is a flip in their fucking mindset. Once they turn that mindset to a point where they no longer want to be so-called normal, that's when you start to find out that motivation is not enough. It's not enough. You have to be that person who no matter what's going on, if you're a big time runner, you don't care what temperature is. Like a whole bunch of people I run with, Every night, they look to see what the fucking temperature is going to be tomorrow. What's the temperature going to be? So am I going to run inside or am I going to run outside? A person that's obsessed and wants to just get there, they don't give a fuck what the temperature is. They no longer care because they know no matter what's out there, no matter if it's snowing, if it's a damn tropical storm, if it's 20 below, they're going to run. They don't care. So there's no need to waste the time to look. I'm just going to go. And that's how you want to get your mind. It doesn't matter what the fuck's out there, what's in front of me. Because a motivated person is going to look. Because that weather is going to fucking change their motivation. Up or down. Oh, it's 70 and sunny. I'm motivated. Oh, it's 30 and a blizzard. Fuck that. I'm going to go inside. An obsessed person doesn't care. They get the fucking job done. Because they're obsessed with what? With being great. Obsessed with being great. And whatever great is. This whole thing about suffering, <laughs> yeah, it sucks really bad. 
uh, really, really bad. But we all live on this side of suffering, on this side, this nice box that's very comfortable that we know when everything is going to happen. We're in it. It's good. We know how everything's going to turn out. It's those few people who are willing to go on this side of suffering. And once they get through that, ask him how he feels now, his mind, how far he grew. So a whole bunch of us, we put ourselves in this great box. And in that box, there's no suffering in it. So what we do is we shelter ourselves from greatness. So for me, for instance, I was 300 damn pounds at one time in my life. Spray for cockroaches, made $1,000 a month. I was living in that box. I would sometimes look over the box and I saw hell, suffering, storms, avalanches, tornadoes. I don't want to go over there, but I knew if I can get through that shit mentally. On the other side was a 185-pound person who's a Navy SEAL, went through ranger school. Only person to do this, only person to do that, only person to do this. But that's through all of that shit. All that shit I had to go through. So you peek over the box and you go back in and say, oh, I'm okay being 300 pounds, making $1,000 a month. I'm okay over here. Because that hurdle is suffering. And when you're willing to go past suffering and see that suffering is one of the best ways you can grow, that you can overcome, because you can suffer for the long term. You can suffer slowly or you can go through pain and then experience what's on the other side. And on the other side is where you start to really start your journey. People think they start their journey because they're born. No, there's a lot of people in graves who have lived a hundred years and have never started their real journey. Your real journey starts when you go outside that box and you start climbing mountains and start climbing mountains. And you think you're at the top of the mountain, you go down the other side of it, think I'm here, and you look up, fuck, there's another fucking mountain. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And just when you're getting ready to quit, you crest that final mountain, you get down and you look, and there you are. And it starts to make sense to you then. It doesn't make sense to you until you get outside that fucking box. I'll talk to so many fucking people, and what I say is not for everybody. So many people don't have any clue on what the fuck I'm saying because they're in this box. And it's their brain. The mind's a very powerful thing. It has a tactical advantage over you all the time. It knows your fears. It knows your insecurities. It knows where you don't want to go. So it will guide you away from that. And that's why the mind will always win until you reprogram it. It will always win until you fucking reprogram it. Because the mind controls you. Why is that? It's your fucking mind. It's your mind. Because all those things that happen to you in your life, all those bad things, all those things that you blame other people for, they're now yours to own. You got to figure out a way to reprogram your mind to get outside the box. And so three things, folks, for those of you who are taking notes and paying attention, three things I got of what David just said. And I'm just connecting the dots between everyone else we've brought onto the show. The first is that study from Google. Suffering makes us better people. The best performers in freaking Google were the ones were young people who had gone through some pain in their life. And when you look at life like that, you see that sometimes pain can be a gift. Pain makes us who we are. And people who have gone through suffering, they come out of that and they can bitch and they can whine or they can look back at that suffering and reflect upon what they learned. And it seems that that's what you did, right? So there is an advantage on the other side of that dark tunnel. Now, the second thing is that when you put yourself through suffering, it changes your self-identity. When you willingly put yourself through suffering, that's what Jason did when he ran that Spartan race in the typhoon, because for the rest of his life, 
you know, someone could dump him. He could be put down by someone else. He could have self-doubts. But he's the fucking guy who ran a Spartan race in a fucking typhoon, right? And that identity will never leave him because it's true. So when you put yourself through something like that, you're earning a badge, right? You know how when you were in the military, you would get all of these badges? That's a badge. And that badge, no one can ever take away from you because that's your story. And that is something that's going to hold you up from all the other shit you go through in life. Now, the third thing that I wanted to share is I was interviewing Marissa Peer. She's a famous British hypnotherapist. She works with Olympians. She works with celebrities. And she spoke about five things that make top performers top performers. And one of the things she observed is that all of these top performers, they willingly put themselves through suffering. She said, now, this was a big lesson for me because I was one of those people where I would get up and I knew I had to go to the gym or exercise three times a week. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'd get up and I'd make these excuses. Nah, you know, it's, I'm too busy today. I don't feel like it. I have a bit of the sniffles. Maybe I shouldn't exacerbate that. And Marissa changed me in one freaking interview. She said, the greatest people in the world know that you don't do things always because they are fun. Sometimes you will do things because they are painful, because you know that that is what is going to make you who you are. So great performers, they willingly, openly, consciously do things which are painful because they know that that pain is going to get them to the next level. That flipped my mind. I never skipped a gym day again. You know what's funny about that, though, about the second thing you said about the badge? It's a true statement, but there's a caveat to that. It's a big caveat to that. That badge is earned. We earn the badge. We go through the typhoon. We go through the Spartan race. We do whatever we do in life. We earn the badge. But a lot of us never want to go back again. The badge can be earned and also forgotten. That's why you have to go back every single day. Because the mind is a very powerful thing. It doesn't want to go there. It doesn't want to suffer. It doesn't want to suffer. So once you suffer once or twice or three times, you're good. Do you think that sticks with you forever? It doesn't. If you stop reading right now, you stop running, you stop going to the gym, you stop mathematics, stop anything, you forgot the equation. You forget the equation. You could be the best person in your damn math class, but you go back four or five years later, God, I got an A in this. What? I don't remember this. It goes for everything you do in life, especially suffering. If you do not suffer, on a constant basis. And I'm not saying go out there and run on broken legs. Suffering is different for everybody. And suffering is just being very uncomfortable, a lot. People wanna know, how did you get so mentally tough, David Goggins? How'd you get there? How'd you get there? By exactly what that hypnotherapist said. There was no mental toughness tricks back then. There was no training back when I grew up. This whole mental toughness crave, this came around years after I became who I was. It was just doing. Whatever my mind said, I don't want to do, I realized I must do that. Because what got me where I was at, 300 pounds, spraying for cockroaches, a loser, not going to school, I was doing exactly what made me feel good. And it got me exactly where I was at, nowhere. When I started taking this other path over here, the path that I didn't want to go on, the path of most resistance, I started realizing, my God, this sucks like hell over here. It's so painful and it's scary. It's dark. It's lonely. There's very few people over here. That's when I started realizing, my God, but look at the growth I have. Look what's happening to me. I'm losing weight. 
I'm smarter. I have confidence. I have courage. The self-discipline I have, the ability to face myself in the morning, the ability to win the war in the morning. I'm winning the war every morning. Every morning I get up, people think I have some special ability to get up and just work out every day. Nope. I now realize what my mind is going to do. I now control my mind versus the inner dialogue you had about, I work out three days a week, I'm not going to go today. I have the same dialogue. But now I know it's like breathing air. I must do this because I know on the other side of this, I know there's greatness over there. Wow. Now, this is a good time to talk about the cookie jar versus the jar of fuck. Tell us about that. So the cookie jar is something I invented. I invented a whole mess of shit to get me through life. Big on visualization, big on self-talk, but it has to be real. So the cookie jar is something I invented because I realized at a young age I was a pussy. And I had to develop an indestructible mental toolbox to get through my life because I didn't like what I saw in the fucking mirror. I was a big liar growing up. And I can say that now because I overcame myself. I was a liar because I wanted everybody to like me. So I would tell you whatever the fuck you wanted to hear because in my mind, I want a very liked kid in my mind. So I wanted a cool kid in my mind. Like I said, you start to create these things. So to get through all these different things, I started developing these tactics, these different tools, these different tricks. And one was the cookie jar. When your life gets fucking hard and life is coming at you, you will panic and you will forget who the fuck you are. Trust me. Me, I've been through three Navy SEAL Hell Weeks. I've been through 60 ultra races, pull-up records, tons of failures, all this shit. In that moment when life comes at you the fucking hardest, do you think you sit back and think about a fucking Spartan race? No. You should. That's what the cookie jar is for. This mental cookie jar. You know how your mom would buy these cookies and have this big old right. fucking jar and she just like start dumping shit in there. And then when that got empty, she put some Oreos in there. And then the next month, maybe some Chips Ahoy, whatever. You don't know what kind of fucking cookie you're going to get out of that thing. So for me, we grew up kind of poor. So those cookies I savored. So that's why I talk about the cookie jar. So for me, it's like a fortune cookie now. When times get real fucking bad for me in life and I start going down that fucking rabbit hole of shit, man, my life sucks. I'm not strong anymore. The strongest person become weak. I go back to the mental cookie jar and I say, hang on a second, man. Before you become a total bitch, let's take a second and think about this, man. Is this that difficult that's in front of you? I go back in the mental cookie jar, pull out a cookie, open up this fortune cookie that says you went through three hell weeks. You endured Brazil. Your stepfather got murdered. Pretty much, you learned all of high school in six months because you cheated all through school just to get in the military. You start to remind yourself of who the fuck you are because in the worst of times, when life is its worst, you don't remember how badass you are. All you know is right now, life is kicking my fucking ass. And no one's coming to save you. It's not like you call your shrink on the fucking phone. Hey, you know, hey, who am I? No, sorry. You have yourself. And that's the thing I realized. I developed all these different tools because in the worst of fucking times, you are alone. You must get your fucking self out of the fucking sewer. No one's coming in that fucking sewer to get you. It's dark. It's nasty. There's rats down there. It's your brain. You are the only person that can pull yourself out. So the cookie jar is a tool to remind you of who the fuck you really are in a bad time. Wow. I like that. Now, you also mentioned this concept called the jar of fuck. That's life. Life is a jar of fuck. 
And that's why I believe that you must win the war every morning. Win the war every morning is this. There's a lot of things in life that we can control, but we choose not to. An example, let's say tomorrow, you now set in your mind, you get a fucking six o'clock in the morning, okay? That alarm clock goes off at six o'clock in the morning, but you went to bed at one o'clock. Your first instinct is, whatever I said yesterday, I was comfortable. It was a nice day yesterday. I made this fucking plan at eight o'clock at night, watching TV with my fucking girlfriend and drinking a fucking milkshake. Now it's six o'clock in the fucking morning, I'm tired. That's that motivation shit at eight o'clock. That motivation's gone. You hit that snooze button, you've now lost the war. The one thing you can control, you've lost, already lost. So then you snooze. Let's say you get up at 6.45 now because you snooze a couple times, a few times. You go in the shower, now your day's all late, you started, so now you feel a little guilty now, you fucking missed your workout, you go in the shower, you're running late for work now. Now once you open that door of your apartment or your house, you're now in the real fucking world. And guess what the real world's gonna do? It's gonna fuck you up. You'll get to work, the boss may not like you that day, he may be fucking mad. So the whole thing about the jar of fuck, you must win the war in the morning. So then when you go into life that you cannot control, you've already mentally won so many battles early in the fucking morning. So you're going into fucking war having already won something. So you're not going to war defeated. You're going to war knowing I did my push-ups, I did my sips, I read, I meditated. Whatever the fuck you do, you're prepared for what the fuck life is going to bring you. But most of us, we walk into war with no fucking weapon. And the weapon is this. The weapon is this. We haven't sharpened it. I'm a wildland firefighter. We use a tool called Pulaski. If you don't sharpen the fucking point of that fucking Pulaski, and you start digging in fucking rock, it's going to be a hard-ass dig. If you keep that fucker nice, nice and sharp, like your mind, every war you go into, you get a better chance of survival. But we fuck up in the morning. We don't win what we can win. We leave our house a mess. We leave our life a mess. And that's how our life becomes. So get mess. those victories straight up in the morning. There's so many morning victories that we have that we just fucking fail to take advantage of. What do you do in the morning? Every single morning, the first thing I do is I get up in the morning time and I run. The one thing I hate the fucking most is running. So if I'm attacking the thing I hate the most, I go home, I put a fucking chip right in the jar, in the mental jar, I fucking right. won already, motherfucker. I've already won. I've already beat myself. Because really, the only person that you're fighting every day is yourself. It's not your boss. It's not this or that. Yeah, those are all obstacles. A lot of them, you cannot control those obstacles. But you can control yourself. You can control how you start your fucking day. But we, a lot of us choose not to do that. Now, it sounds like you're talking about really embracing the dark side. What do you say to critics who say, look, your lifestyle is never going to make someone happy? <laughs> I like that. A lot of people do tell me that because, you know, they read my face and they say, you know, you're stoic, you're not happy, you're not this, you're not that. You talk so much darkness. What people don't understand is that enlightenment Peace, you first must go through hell. You first must go through suffering. To find that great peace we're all looking for, there's a lot of books out there about this five steps. Do this, do this, do this, get there. No, man, it's not that easy. To find real, permanent 
peace and enlightenment, you must go to the dark side of who you are. I could have easily just shoved my whole life under a rug and went straight to peace. Are you happy there? You overcame nothing. You skipped hell. You forego this part of your life. You skip it and go right to peace. So you always have this thing back here that's haunting you, and that's that darkness. You must go into the darkness to truly find that light that you're looking for, because that's what's on the other side of that. People get it all wrong, man. You have to face suffering. You have to face this dark side, this darkness. And there's a lot of energy in there. There's a lot of goodness in there that you can use to find greatness, but you cannot find your peace you're looking for in yourself until you overcome yourself. Like this whole Instagram world. We love showing people this world that we have. We show everybody the good side of us. I don't do that shit. I wanna show you how fucked up I am so you can fucking learn. I'm not gonna learn from your great big house and your trips you go on and your beautiful shoes. And your, we all love to see what people have, their nice shit. Show me your ugly shit. That's where I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna learn from the dark, nasty shit that we all have that we all wanted to scoot under a fucking rug and say it doesn't exist. We all have it. This is just my story. We all have it. So the only way to fucking overcome it is to face it. Deal with it. Overcome it. Now you said this. I was not guided by something on this earth. I was guided by something even more powerful. I lived the life of a monk. Yes. I'm not a monk, but I live my discipline. My self-discipline of my life is very monk-like. So most of us, I believe, die at 40%. That's all that we've given, and we believe it's our 100%. That's why my book, in the back of it, I describe the 40% rule, something I invented. And I believe, as I talk about, in something much bigger than David Goggins. A lot of people don't, I do. And I think that when you die, this is just my own mindset, that you arrive in line. It helps me to get past a lot of things. You arrive in line, and let's say you're in front, let's say you die right before me, and God's sitting there with a the clipboard. He's looking at you, and he says, hey, you made the heaven, good job, okay? And then he shows you the clipboard of what your life should have been. So you live this life that you thought you pushed so hard. Then you look at the clipboard. Let's say myself. This is now me. I'm talking about myself now. And let's say I got to heaven weighing 300 pounds. I was a guy that worked for Ecolab, which is a guy that kills cockroaches for a living, which is fine. It's a job. But then I look at this, and that's how I died. I look at this, and it says on here what I should have been, because God's all-knowing, right? I look at this, and it said you should have been 185 pounds. You should have broke Ginsburg World's record. You should have been a Navy SEAL. You should have been this. You should have been that. You should have lived this great life. You should have been an inspiration. You should have inspired millions. And then you give the clipboard back to God. Let's say you lived 80 years on Earth, and now you realize that you lived here being a shell of who the fuck you should have been. So now you're in heaven. But are you really in heaven? Because now you see how much you fucking left down there on Earth. So now your mind... Your fucking mind now knows because I was afraid to suffer because I was afraid to go there. You can never know who the fuck David Goggins is right now. You can never know me. I could be back in Brazil, Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, spraying for cockroaches at the fucking local restaurant. You should never fucking know me if I chose the route most of us choose. There'd be no fucking story. It'd be a normal story. What's your son doing, Jackie? Oh, He's 43, he's been working for Ecolab for 20 years. How's he doing good? He's doing good, he has a wife and kid. 
Never fucking knowing I could be right the fuck here right now with the fucking book coming out about what I accomplished. But I had a decision to make at 24 years old. Wow. That metaphor of heaven is one of the most powerful things I've heard in the last couple of months. That's thought changing. Thank you so much for joining us in Mind Valley. By the way, love your passion, love your intensity. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I was riveted. And you speak with such passion. It's exemplary, really. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. David's book, Can't Hurt Me, go find it. I just read the opening chapter, but I can tell you it's a powerful freaking book. You want to look up this book. You want to follow this man on Instagram. You want to Google David Goggins and read and listen to all the stuff out there because this guy is a kick in the butt to help you become who you really are. And remember that heaven question. What would you do on the day you die when you reach heaven and you see that list of the man or woman you could be and you find that you were only 40% there. And I can tell you, as David said, that ain't gonna be heaven no more. So watch this guy's stuff and let's jack up that 40%. Thanks, David. Appreciate it, thank you. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast.